Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm a park ranger in the state of New Hampshire, and I've heard countless stories of strange sightings and unexplainable events in the forests and lakes of this area. But I always approach these stories with a skeptical mind, dismissing them as mere illusions or overactive imaginations. That is until I met a young man who shared his own encounter with me. He was 22 years old from southern Massachusetts and he had visited his grandfather's lake house on Pine River Pond in New Hampshire with his cousins allies and Paige when he was 16. Late one night, they decided to walk to the cabin when they came across a tall white figure that ran across the dirt road in front of them. The young man was initially scared speechless, but his cousin allies screamed loudly in terror. Despite his logical and skeptical mind, he couldn't deny the feeling of being watched the entire night with the hairs on the back of his neck standing on end. He later discovered that other people had similar sightings in the area, and he found it eerie and fascinating. He even requested screenshots of his conversation with allies to keep as evidence of their experience. As a park ranger, I couldn't simply dismiss this story as an overactive imagination or hallucination. Instead, it sparked my curiosity and made me wonder about the mysteries and wonders of the natural world. I've since started to keep an open mind and to listen to the stories of those who have encountered strange phenomena. Who knows what other secrets and mysteries lay hidden in the forests and lakes of New Hampshire. I had always been fascinated by the unknown. The woods, the creatures that might lurk within them, and the mysteries of the supernatural had always captured my imagination. As a child, I spent countless hours exploring the forest, boating on the lake, and camping with my friends. Despite all the time I spent in the woods, I had never really experienced anything out of the ordinary. That is, until the day I met Police Officer Doyle. It was a beautiful summer afternoon, and I decided to take a hike in the woods behind my house. 
I had been walking for a couple of hours when suddenly the atmosphere changed. The woods went eerily quiet and I felt an overwhelming sense of dread wash over me. My gut instincts were telling me to leave, so I turned around and hurried back the way I came. As I made my way out of the woods, I stumbled upon Officer Doyle. He was standing at the edge of the forest, a look of concern etched across his face. He asked me if I was all right and if I had seen or heard anything unusual. I hesitated, not sure if I should share my experience with him. But something about his kind eyes and genuine concern made me trust him, so I opened up about the unnerving silence and the fear I felt. Officer Doyle nodded, as if he had heard similar stories before. He told me that he had been investigating strange occurrences in these woods for years. Sightings of creatures, strange lights, and unexplained phenomena were not uncommon, but the townsfolk were often too scared or skeptical to talk about them. Officer Doyle, however, believed that there was more to these stories than mere superstition. I listened intently as he shared his own experiences with the unexplained, including a close encounter with what he believed to be Bigfoot. He explained that he had once been a skeptic himself, but after witnessing the impossible, he became a staunch advocate for the existence of the supernatural. Officer Doyle's stories and his passion for seeking the truth inspired me to rethink my own beliefs. I realized that I had no right to dismiss the experiences of others, especially when I had felt that inexplicable fear myself. Our conversation that day sparked a friendship that would last for years as we continued to explore the unknown together. As I look back on my experiences and the people I've met, I'm grateful for Officer Doyle and the day I listened to my gut instincts. It opened up a whole new world of possibilities and made me question everything I thought I knew. And by sharing our stories, we not only gave credibility to the subject, but also found solace in knowing that we were not alone in our experiences. One of my favorite things about living in Washington is the eeriness of its forests. I-28 female have had a few weird experiences here, but one of the creepiest happened like an hour away from Offwood Lake in Covington. You got me with the Weyerheuser because I would always pass Weyerheuser Ave on the way to the home of a guy 30 male I was seeing. It was 3 a.m. and we were outside with the dog letting her conduct a business transaction and smoking a cigarette. I had started this routine because I would have a hard time sleeping at his house. He would come outside with me most of the time, but if he didn't, I would be okay alone on the front porch with the pooch. My ex-boyfriend walks over to the other side of the driveway towards the trash cans, and I'm trying to get the dog to the grass. She will not move a muscle and is shaking a little looking straight ahead. I stop and look in the same direction. At the same time, we hear a loud laugh unlike any I have heard before. The best way I could describe it is if you imagine this laugh was the source of all evil like it's mocking you. But it's more disturbing than that even because it sounds inhuman, and it was deep. The length of the laugh was like haha and abruptly stopped. We freeze and look at each other trying to comprehend what we just heard. It echoed as if the sky was the source of this horrible sound. We never heard anything like that again, but I feel once was too much. We were sober and aware at time. If I was alone, it would be easier to brush off as my imagination. The fact that the dog reacted a second before it happened and knew the direction and my ex-boyfriend had a similar reaction as me to the sound reinforces the reality the disturbing laugh did occur. Washington can get weird. There's one spot in Tucker, Georgia that never fails to give me chills John's homestead. This old, vacant farmhouse sits in disarray alongside a busy highway, surrounded by a few acres of woods, two century-old churches, and old cemeteries. It's a strange patch of land that feels disconnected from the bustling urban communities around it. The history of the place is vague. All I know is that the landowner's name was John Johns, and an old photo of him shows a stern, unhappy man. The property has always creeped me out, but curiosity kept pulling me back. I visited the homestead a few times, and each time I felt as if I was being watched. The atmosphere was heavy and unsettling, 
but I couldn't help wanting to explore the old house and its surroundings. On my last visit, I arrived just before dark. The walk to the house was uneventful, and I found myself at the chain-link fence that surrounded the crumbling structure, which had been deemed structurally unsafe. The inside of the house appeared pitch black, even though the doors and windows didn't seem to be completely boarded up. Suddenly, I realized that darkness was falling quickly, and the familiar feeling of unease began to wash over me. I decided to leave and started walking back towards the trail. Just as I re-entered the wooded area, I heard a loud thud. My first thought was that a tree limb had fallen, but the sound wasn't accompanied by any snaps or cracks. I hesitated for a moment before continuing towards my car, the darkness now almost complete. I couldn't shake the feeling that something was off about this place. A few days later, I read in the news that human remains had been found just a few feet from where I had heard the noise. The county never released any details about the identity of the body or what had happened, even after a year had passed. So many questions remain unanswered. What's so special about this particular crumbling house? Why has this small stretch of woods remained undeveloped? What did I hear that night, and who was found dead? The mystery of John's homestead continues to haunt me, and I can't help but wonder if there's something more to this eerie patch of land than meets the eye. As the urban landscape continues to encroach on this small, seemingly forgotten corner of Tucker, the secrets hidden within its shadows may never be revealed. As an avid angler, I had always found solace in the gentle flow of the Rio Grande River. The tranquility of the water, the rustling leaves, and the chirping birds offered an unparalleled escape from the bustling city life. I often went fishing on weekends, and this particular day was no exception. I arrived at my favorite spot near the UTEP College, right under the high train bridge off of Executive on the west side of El Paso. As I set up my fishing gear, I couldn't help but notice an eerie stillness in the air. It was as if the usual serenity of the river had been replaced by an unsettling silence. I cast my line and waited patiently, trying to shake off the strange sensation. However, I couldn't ignore the peculiar sight that awaited me when I pulled up my first catch of the day. What I had expected to be a fish turned out to be a bizarre collection of items, likely the remnants of a satanic ritual that had taken place the night before. There were three sink candles, a dime, and a Walmart rotisserie chicken with a bite taken out of it. The sight of these objects, so out of place in the peaceful surroundings, sent a shiver down my spine. I couldn't shake the feeling that I had stumbled upon something dark and sinister. Despite the odd discovery, I tried to focus on my fishing, hoping to put the unsettling scene out of my mind. However, the thought of what had transpired in this beautiful spot continued to nag at me. Who would do such a thing and why? What had they hoped to gain from this ritual? As I sat there, pondering these questions, I heard footsteps approaching from behind. I turned to see a park ranger making his rounds. Relieved to see a friendly face, I greeted him and shared my strange discovery. He, too, appeared disturbed by the sight, but assured me that he would report the incident and make sure the area was cleaned up. I couldn't help but feel somewhat relieved by his presence, as if the darkness that had cast a shadow over the river had been chased away. I thanked the ranger and returned to my fishing, hoping to salvage what was left of my peaceful retreat. As the day wore on and the sun began to set, the river seemed to regain its usual tranquility. The bizarre encounter was now just a strange memory, a reminder that even in the most serene of places, Darkness can sometimes find its way in, but with the support of those who care for and protect these natural sanctuaries, we can ensure that the light always prevails. There's a trail I love to hike and camp. When I was about 19 in the early 2000s, some friends and I went to camp there. We decided to walk off the trail and explore. We hiked directly up the mountain, and it flattens out into a bald spot before continuing. We're walking around it and feeling kinda weird. Then my buddy sees a horse leg at the edge of the clearing, another at another part of the clearing. We eventually find its other legs and head, its fur still intact. 
It didn't even smell. There was a fire pit in the middle of the clearing. We freaked out because rituals. A year later, I'm with my mom and brother hiking or camping. We decided to hike in late. It's dark. We're pretty fat back, same area, but stayed on the trail. This old dude appears with a dog that's super well-behaved. No flashlight, no shoes. Dog has no leash. The guy has an eye missing, so it's just creepy. He's acting super nice and says he walks out here all the time. I didn't sleep at all. We hiked off the trail and made camp far away. I thought he was going to kill us. Another time I was awoken early while sleeping near that trail by cracking sounds and heave breathing near the campsite. When I finally got the balls to get up, there were claw marks and bite marks on a couple trees 50 feet from camp. I was 10 years of age when this incident occurred. I and my family were living in an apartment complex at the time in Dunwoody, Georgia. I was walking with my mother to the bus stop. Suddenly, about 5 to 10 feet away, there was an apartment building about 15 to 20 feet being them to the right side of my mother and me. There were what seemed to be two or three of these humanoid beings, which were covered in what seemed to be white robes and emitting bright light around their bodies. This bright light is what probably caught my attention in the first place. I pointed to them and asked my mother what those people were, something along those lines. My mother remembered me asking her this, but she did not see anything. She told me she just felt a very strong presence. The fact that she was there with me and remembers me asking her these questions is proof to me that it was not a hallucination or dream. One of these beings was standing in front of the other one or two beings behind it. I cannot remember the appearance of the beings in the back, but I could clearly see the face of the one standing in front. It seemed very human-like, youthful. It had curly hair and a blank stare until it noticed that I was looking at it, and then its eyes widened as if it was surprised that I had noticed it observing us. I was not supposed to be able to see them once I and the being in front made eye contact. Everything on their upper torso was white with a gray tone kind of mixture, including their faces. They were almost transparent like one would imagine a typical ghostly figure to be. I mentioned only upper torso because I don't recall them having any hands or legs, including feet. They also seemed to be floating because of this. I turned my head for one second and then quickly back, but as I did, I remember seeing them sort of float or hover away back down some stairs that were in the vicinity. I lost sight after that. These beings seemed to be conscious of some sort, aware of their surroundings, and did not want to be seen by me or anyone else but they did seem to be there for a reason. I do not remember anything before or after this event, but my mother told me it started off as a normal day, and after I got back from school, she told me I asked her again about the beings. I have sketches that I have drawn, but can't find them at the moment. When I do, I will be sure to send them if needed. In the meantime, if you have any useful information that I could use about what on earth I saw that day, please send me anything as this has been on my mind ever since my early teens. I am now in my mid-twenties, and although I have had a few unexplained occurrences throughout my life, none of which were as vivid as this was, I have not seen anything on that level like that since. I came out the woods after dark from deer hunting several years ago, and when I got to my Bronco the battery was dead, and no way to jump start it plus, I had driven through the backside of a two-year-old clear cut, and was in the middle of nowhere. The woods were lit up with noise as I walk out the clear cut back to the old logging road I had driven on. When I hit the old logging road everything went silent. I had left my bow in my Bronco, knowing I had an eight-mile walk back to the camp. I think that was the fastest I had ever walked in my life. The feeling of being watched and followed was something that still gives me the chills to this day. It was a cold, crisp winter morning, and I had decided to spend the day snowshoeing deep into the forest. The untouched snow blanketed the landscape, creating an eerily quiet and serene atmosphere. I reveled in the solitude, the crunch of my snowshoes on the fresh powder, the only sound breaking the silence. As I ventured further into the wilderness, I stumbled upon a small clearing. 
To my amazement, words were etched into the snow in the center of the clearing. Paradesha ad ignatum. I scanned the area, expecting to see footprints or some other sign of human presence. But the snow was undisturbed, as if the words had appeared by magic. My curiosity peaked. I took out my phone and searched for the meaning of the phrase. The closest translation I could find was, through audacity towards the unknown. It sent a shiver down my spine, as if the words were a message meant just for me. I continued my hike, the phrase echoing in my mind. As I navigated the unfamiliar terrain, I realized that the words were pushing me to venture further into the unknown, to embrace the challenge of discovery. I felt a renewed sense of determination, an audacious spirit urging me to explore uncharted territory. The deeper I ventured into the woods, the more I discovered. I found a hidden waterfall, its icy waters cascading over frozen rocks. I stumbled upon an abandoned cabin, its time-worn walls whispering tales of bygone days. The words in the snow had inspired me to embrace the unknown, and I was rewarded with the beauty and wonder of the forest. As the sun began to set, I reluctantly turned back, making my way through the snowy landscape toward home. The words, per audacia ad ignatum, stayed with me, a reminder of the day's adventures and the thrill of stepping into the unknown. When I finally returned to the clearing where I had first encountered the message, the snow had begun to fall, gently erasing the words from the pristine surface. I felt a sense of gratitude for having been the one to discover them, and for the impact they had on my day. As I made my way home through the darkening forest, I realized that life is full of unexpected messages and hidden beauty, waiting to be discovered by those willing to venture into the unknown with audacity and courage. I remember my uncle telling me stories about his time as a personal bodyguard to President Harry S. Truman in 1947. One story in particular has always stood out in my mind, and it is a story that I have never shared with anyone until now. It was July 1947, and my uncle received a call from the president himself. He was instructed to prepare for a secret mission and to meet the president at a discreet location near the White House. When my uncle arrived, he found President Truman disguised as a member of the press, ready to embark on a top-secret journey. With only a few trusted aides by their side, they snuck out of the White House and headed for Roswell, New Mexico. The president had insisted on visiting the site of the alleged flying saucer crash personally to ensure that the incident was covered up from the public. As they approached Roswell, the tension in the air was palpable. My uncle knew that they were about to uncover something extraordinary, and he couldn't shake the feeling that their lives would never be the same again. Upon their arrival, they were met by Major Easley, who had been tasked with handling the crash site. As they stood there, surrounded by the wreckage of what appeared to be a flying saucer, the president demanded answers. Major Easley explained that the situation was under control and that nothing from the crash would remain. In order to maintain the secrecy of their visit, a double of President Truman was used back in Washington, D.C., ensuring that no one would suspect that the president was missing. It was an elaborate operation that left no room for error. As they prepared to leave Roswell, my uncle could see the worry in President Truman's eyes. He knew that the truth of what they had seen would have to be hidden from the world, and that the burden of that secret would weigh heavily on both of them. Years later, my uncle would recount this story to me with a mix of wonder and sadness. He never forgot the incredible events he had witnessed in Roswell, and he often wondered what might have been if the truth had been revealed to the world. As for me, I have carried this secret with me ever since, unsure of what to do with it. But now, as I share this story with you, I can't help but feel a sense of relief, as if a weight has been lifted from my shoulders. The truth about President Truman's visit to Roswell may never be fully understood, but at least now, the story can be told. We live in an older house that my dad remodeled about 10 years ago. The house is about 60 years old, and we have had a few over the last year. Or I guess I just notice it more that we have sun and my head stays on a swivel all the time. 
Just little things like a voice or a noise that we can never figure out what caused it heard someone cough one night looked at my wife and she asked if it was me. Have had cups fall off the counter. The ones that freak me out is when the dog starts barking and I try to put it up to the fact that labs are scared of their own shadow. But about three months ago I was up putting my son back into bed my dog was standing in the doorway wife was in bed. I heard footsteps walking down the hall and my son asked if mommy was up so I said yes then the dog turns to face the hall with teeth bared and barking like she's about to rip something apart which is odd for her. I look down the hall ready to deal with whatever she is freaking out over and see nothing. I look in the bedroom and my wife is still in bed. I didn't sleep that night or a few after that. Funny part is ever since this ugly stray cat showed up about six weeks ago it has all stopped. I guess that cats are good for something other than killing field mice. Ronnie Smith, an ex-professional hunter-photographer been to Zaire and Zimbabwe. Africa was among a group of five hunters on the Warm Springs Indian Reservation, Oregon, last June 12-13th. They were about seven miles from Blue Lake, hunting south of the road, but away from an area of active clear-cut logging. The plan was to drive game down a mile-deep ravine by shooting rifles from the top, and three of the hunters would intercept the game as they descended from the ridges. They were watching three groups of elk, and one bull started up an almost non-existent game trail when they heard snorting and noises of something in a great deal of pain. Thinking an archer had shot the very large bull elk, they noticed large, furry feet going way up and over the bull's back, while watching with their binoculars and rifle scopes from about 3-400 yards at about 1.30 p.m. They watched in amazement as a two-minute battle between a Bigfoot and a large bull elk commenced. Why the Bigfoot picked the largest bull, they don't know, as a smaller bull and several cows were nearby. They had the impression that the creature knew what the men were doing, driving the game, and had selected the ambush site deliberately. The elk had hooked the Bigfoot in the side, throwing him up and over his shoulder. They estimated the Bigfoot weighed around 900 pounds. One of the men had a camera and started snapping photos, says he'll bring them in, of the badly wounded Bigfoot, bleeding from the side where the elk had hooked him. The Bigfoot attacked the elk again, digging in with long nails or claws on the right foot and tearing open the stomach area on the elk. Grabbing the elk, it started biting in that area until the elk went down as he held onto it. The Bigfoot tore off the areas it wanted, a rib and ham. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Section and left holding the elk portion with one hand and its wound with the other. It had curiously turned the elk over so that the exposed section was face down to the mud and dirty snow. The Bigfoot was described as having long shaggy brown hair, a very human-like face, but with very bushy eyebrows and having a skinny waist. He wasn't sure of height tall, with a rounded high crown on its head. They did retrieve the remains of the elk for their own use plus, saving the section of hide that the Bigfoot bit into that Ronnie says he'll bring in wanted money for his stuff. Skepticals on please. When I was 1920, I lived in Maryland and was obsessed with photographing abandoned houses in some of the rundown suburban areas around where I grew up. I got arrested, ACA driven home in cuffs and slapped on the wrist a lot for trespassing, but I was dumb and this didn't stop me. So I went to this abandoned house that supposedly a cop was killed in and now no one lived there. It was pretty odd inside. The floor was a foot deep with just broken furniture and detritus. It was like whoever abandoned the place left everything they owned there, and then kids came in and smashed it all and left it on the floor. Creepy house, but I didn't feel anything oppressive or weird about it. I was there during the day alone, 
but I didn't get any chills or anything. Took photos of the downstairs and then went upstairs. The stairs were wood and looked pretty secure, not obviously rotted or anything. While I'm up there, I heard a cop car pull up outside and chirp its siren. Two cops came into the house and I yelled down where I was. One of the cops told me to stay there and started to come upstairs. I had gone up no problem and this dude was a skinny little rookie looking dude so we were honestly probably the same weight. Except that every time he put his weight on one of the steps it broke. Sometimes just a little so he kept going, but twice his foot went all the way through the step. It was the weirdest thing. Eventually he backed off and I came down. None of the upper steps broke for me and I jumped down over the broken ones. They took me home and it was fine, but that's still the weirdest experience of my life. Maybe something in that house still really hated cops. When I was just a kid, I lived in a rural area in central Indiana, surrounded by open fields and dense woods. The nights were dark and quiet, punctuated only by the sounds of crickets and the occasional howl of distant coyotes. It was a simple life, but I loved it. One night, when I was about 10 years old, I awoke with an overwhelming urge to relieve myself. My family's house didn't have indoor plumbing, so I had to step outside to do my business. I groggily pulled on my boots and trudged out into the chilly night, the full moon casting eerie shadows across the yard. As I approached our old rusty pickup truck parked near the edge of the woods, I unzipped my pants and began to pee. It was then that I noticed something strange. There was a looming presence behind the truck, almost as if it was hiding there. My heart skipped a beat, and I squinted my eyes to try to make out what it was. The creature stood about seven feet tall, with thick, shaggy red hair covering its body. Its eyes seemed to pierce through the darkness, sending shivers down my spine. The air around it was heavy with a sort of energy that whispered into my soul, urging me to leave immediately. I didn't need any more convincing. I zipped up my pants and bolted back into the house, slamming the door behind me. My mother, woken by the noise, came rushing into the room her face etched with concern. I breathlessly recounted what I had seen, my voice shaking as I described the strange creature. Without wasting any time, my mother decided that we needed to move. She never told me why, but I think she believed in what I saw that night. We packed up our things and left our rural Indiana home behind, moving to a bustling city far away from the woods and the creature that had frightened me so. As I grew older, I would occasionally come across stories of Bigfoot and other cryptids, but none of them seemed to match the description of the creature I had seen that night. It wasn't until I stumbled upon the movie Underworld and other werewolf films that I began to wonder if what I had witnessed was a werewolf. The resemblance was uncanny, but I still wasn't sure. Then one day, I discovered the story of the Beast of Bray Road. As I delved into the documentaries and witness accounts, I felt a chill run down my spine. This was it. This was what I had seen all those years ago. The descriptions matched almost perfectly, from the red hair to the menacing energy. I've spent years researching the Beast of Bray Road and other similar sightings, trying to understand the creature that haunted my childhood. I don't know if I'll ever find the answers I'm looking for, but one thing is certain. That fateful night in rural Indiana changed my life forever and I'll never forget the chilling presence of the creature that lurked behind the truck. I always loved being up in the woods of Washington. The cold, frigid air cuts through my clothes and makes my bones cold. The kind of cold that makes your soul take a deep breath. I muster my strength upon a steep incline through these woods. I keep on telling myself, one more step is all I need. When you know you're in a tight spot, you always encourage, or for myself, I lie to myself. Helps keep me going. I turn around as I finally reach the campsite and welcome the achievement of life that I'm at. The sun is now going down and I pitch up my three-step pop-up tent. I begin to crawl into my half-made tent like a dog runs to its kennel after being awake all day. I take my baby wipes out and begin bird-bathing myself. 
Even though I am freezing, I know sweat is all over my body, especially the amount of layers I wear currently. Jeans off, jacket off, sweater off, socks off, shorts off. I feel relaxed and refreshed cleaning myself off after this eight-hour trek through the woods of Mount St. Helens. I open my map and begin to chart my next destination in dreams of Mount Rainier after St. Helens. Crack, I pause and carefully peek out my tent liner. I don't see anyone or anything. I lay down enjoying the nature around me and begin to drift off. Crack, I sit up and open my liner and I see a face. Ah, heart pounding and this pale white man runs across my tent into the tree line. I begin looking through my bag to find bear mace and my camping axe. I clutch it with white knuckles as hard as I can and I step out my tent. I turn around and see a ring of men in black robes around my campsite staring at me. I run into my tent and phone for the park rangers. Rangers pick up and I scream, Help, I'm being stalked. There's dozens of people around me. Please get here as fast as possible. I stay in my tent staring at my phone with every minute passing by. I become more fearful. Breathing speeding up with every breath anxiety shaking my body. All I hear is, who phoned for the rangers? I bolt out of my tent to see two rangers on four-wheelers armed with hunting rifles. I look and no one is around us, just me and the rangers. I hop on their four-wheeler and one hour later I get returned to their office. I get handed a bulky camera and I cycle through the photos. Pictures of me throughout my hike were taken. Distant shots and pics of me even urinating outside. Till this day I don't go to the woods near Mount St. Helens. I have had my fair share of paranormal experiences. One of the most bizarre encounters occurred in the streets of Iliupolis, Greece, where I saw a strange woman with large, protruding eyes, a high forehead, and an incredibly thin waist. She was dressed in old-fashioned gray clothes, a skirt and a jacket, and beneath them, she wore tight, transparent trousers. She was accompanied by a peculiar dog, which appeared to be a shadow hovering just above the ground. The creature was tethered to her with a transparent, thick cord. As I approached her, trying to ask who she was and when she had come from, she shot me a fierce glare and vanished into the St. George site of antiquities. The very next day, word spread that an aluminum hut had descended from the sky and landed in the nearby fields of St. Nicholas. It had windows through which a shepherd reportedly saw incredibly ugly dwarfs, one of which had the head of an animal. After a few minutes, a door opened, and a dwarf emerged holding something resembling a golden plate. The strange woman I had encountered the day before appeared as well. The dwarf bowed to her, and she filled the plate with dirt before they both entered the hut. The peculiar structure then took off, disappearing into the sky with a loud bang. So this guy and his partner get called to this woman's house. She is hysterical, terrified out of her mind. Both of the officers are trying to calm her down enough for her to tell them what is wrong. Finally, she catches her breath and tells them that he is coming to get her. The officers ask who he is. The lady starts flipping out again. They get her calmed down again and ask her who she believes is trying to hurt her. Her answer, Mr. Freeze. Yes, the Batman villain. So the officer who told me this story looks at his partner, who just sighs and starts to radio in the false alarm. But then the lady starts freaking out again, talking about how Mr. Freeze is coming. So my buddy grabs the woman and tells her it's okay. He tells her he can't believe she doesn't know about Mr. Pomfrey's weakness. He tells his partner to give him all the change in his pockets, and he does. My buddy starts digging through the change to find quarters. Each time he finds one, he throws it into a corner of the room until all the corners had a quarter in them. Then he tells the woman she is safe because Mr. Freeze can't come into a room that is secured in this way. He gave the woman the rest of the change and left. They never got another call from this lady. I have worked in law enforcement for the past 20 years. I began working for the sheriff department, later moving to local police. I now work for the state police, 
but the following story happened during my time in local police department. For a period of time, I worked on patrol, usually spent most of my time on duty in the car or just generally outside. I used to work the night shift for a very long time, but it did get a little lonely at times. I would clock in at 10 p.m., and specifically, this one night, my department sent me into a part of the city that I rarely ever went to. It was mostly peaceful, especially during the night, so I thought this would be a quiet shift. I slept well before coming to work, so with some coffee, I was pretty well rested and alert and ready. It became a habit of mine, so much that I had trouble staying awake for those rare occasions I worked morning shifts or during the day. I was also a single man at the time, so I could very easily adapt to my schedule, whatever my supervisor needed me to do. I clocked in that night, and everything was going smoothly. Most of the people were still awake and out and about, most returning to their homes, calling it a night. The first couple of hours passed pretty quickly. At around 12.30, it became very quiet. I kept driving around the city and checking that everybody was getting out of the streets. I drove for about an hour or two, and I came upon a group of kids, about five teenagers, sitting in a park smoking cigarettes. After telling them to go home and quit smoking, I moved on with my job. A few blocks away, I came across a man stumbling in the street. I stopped next to him, asking him if he was okay or needed help. He told me that he'd had a bit too much to drink, but he was on his way home. Apparently, he lived across the street from where I stopped him. I let him go, watching him get inside. It took him a couple of minutes, but he eventually made it inside. I was on my way once again. This time of the night, we would usually receive complaints of loud parties, sometimes domestic disturbances. Tonight, however, was a bit different and quite frankly, I was getting more bored by the minute. I heard some partners of mine go out and purposely try to open the doors of various businesses, making sure they're properly locked. I was considering trying it to pass the time. If I had managed to get into the building, then I would have found a weakness and informed the owners. I was about to park my car and go out to check on a store when I heard the dispatcher calling out to everybody. I responded to the call. She reported that there had been a strange person wandering the streets, moving from alley to alley. My initial thoughts were it was probably somebody who was intoxicated. I would have to take him home or put him in the drunk tank. Well, I was very, very wrong. I arrived at the scene where they were last seen. It was a really cold night outside, and I was beginning to wonder if they had fallen asleep in one of the three small alleys right beside the main road. I decided to search each of them, starting from the first one. I drew out my gun and a flashlight and entered the first alleyway. It was pitch black. I shook a light in and saw that it was short and it ended with a wall. There was nobody there. I moved on to the second one. It was similar to the first, except this one had a few trash cans. I slowly moved towards them. I slowly moved towards them. They looked like drops of blood around them. I'm still not sure what the dark liquid was, but it looked like blood to me. I reported what I saw and moved to the final alleyway. I know that by this point whoever it was was probably gone, but I had to take a look. I walked into the third alley and was genuinely surprised to find somebody there. I suspected that it had been the person reported. I announced myself and approached them. It was a tall, skinny man. He was bald and very pale. He was also hiding his face, but not in a way to hide his face from me and more like covering his eyes because the bright light bothered him. I managed to get a glimpse of his left eye. I think that my shock encouraged him to show me his entire face. I calculated my mistakes here as well as my opportunities for the course of action. My first mistake was that he was not a he in the first place or even human. He had bright yellow eyes and a large mouth with multiple sets of sharp teeth protruding out. Look, my sister is really into Halloween and contact lenses for various costumes. I can tell a contact lens from a real eye. They were real and glowing. He or it opened its mouth, and I could see it also had these two fang-like teeth. My guess is that the blood I found before came from this person or creature or it. I also guess it was hurt. 
I had a feeling that human flesh was on its menu, but it had not yet attacked me. I heard my backup come right before alleyway, and I slowly backed out to meet them, carefully keeping my eye on it. However, I took my eyes off it for roughly ten seconds when my colleagues and I walked into the alleyway, and whatever you want to call it was gone. I don't know how it could have slipped up so fast, but it did. Instead, I took a sample of that blood like liquid from before and took it to our labs for testing. The results came back really messed up. It was inconclusive. It appeared to be unidentified DNA. It's been about six or seven years since the incident, but the memory of it still sends chills down my spine. The area around Lost Lake in Oregon has grown and changed over the years, but I can still recall that fateful day as if it were yesterday. I had set up camp at Lost Lake and spent my days exploring the beautiful surroundings, as I had done countless times before. On this particular day, I was hiking around the area, and I came across a small creek crossing and a little ravine about 200 yards behind the local store. As I stood there, I found myself gazing at what appeared to be a fallen tree with a broken stump about six feet up. There were some odd features on it, dark patches that resembled eyes and arms coming across a leg, as if someone was sitting in a crouched position. It was around 3 p.m., so I figured the strange appearance could have been due to the lighting and the shadows cast by the trees. Still, I thought it looked cool and wanted to capture the scene with my camera. I didn't have my camera with me, so I placed a pile of rocks directly across from the fallen tree to mark the spot and ran back to my campsite to grab it. It took me about 15 minutes to retrieve my camera and return to the location. Upon arriving back at the spot, I immediately noticed that my pyramid of rocks had been knocked over. A sudden sense of unease washed over me as I scanned the area. To my disbelief, the fallen tree that I had seen earlier was gone no branches, no stump, nothing worth taking a picture of. Confused, I searched the area, thinking that perhaps I was looking at it from the wrong angle. However, the only thing I found across the creek was a completely ordinary scene that couldn't have been what I had seen earlier. A few days later, I returned to Portland, Oregon, and the incident was mostly forgotten. That is, until I saw a news report stating that there had been sightings of Bigfoot in the same area where I had been camping. The realization hit me like a ton of bricks had I unknowingly stumbled upon a Bigfoot resting in the woods, and had it knocked over my pile of rocks to erase any trace of its presence. I couldn't shake the feeling that something extraordinary had happened, and the thought of it made my heart race with both excitement and fear. I have never gone camping at Lost Lake again. The memory of that day, the strange fallen tree that vanished, and the unsettling news report will forever haunt me. While working as a park ranger, I had an experience with the supernatural. It was a scary ordeal, I must confess. A group of hikers had gotten lost in the woods and my fellow rangers, and I had decided to scout out the area. We got the general direction from the report that was made by their own families. Heading off in the direction, we drove until we got to the entrance of the woods where they at last made contact with their families according to the report. We parked the car just outside the woods and proceeded to search for them. We had searched for a better part of the day without anything to show for it. It was late in the evening already and we had walked deep into the woods. I was feeling uneasy with every step we took. It was as if there was a terrifying monster hidden within the woods. A sense of terror suddenly engulfed me, making me break out in cold sweat. I glanced at my colleague who seemed to have sensed nothing as his expression was as usual. I could not put my finger on it, but something eerie was happening in the woods. Suddenly, we began seeing strange markings, words written in an unknown language, different depictions on trees. What was strange was the fact that my colleague, for some reason, was unaware of everything. It was like he was in another dimension. He was detached from his surroundings. It was in that moment that it hit me. A dimension. Had he mistakenly stepped into a dimensional portal? Was that how hikers had gotten lost? Had they stepped into it as well? If they had, that would explain the disappearance and why we were unable to find traces of them. 
It was of course a mind-blowing theory, so I wanted to test it out. I moved closer to my colleague, attempted to touch him. My hands went right through him, like he did not exist. I could see him, but I couldn't touch him, and I called out his name, hoping to get his attention and alert him to the danger we were in. I called out his name several more times, even radioed him. Yet he continued walking deeper into the woods like a puppet on its string being pulled. After my futile attempts, I proceeded to search for the missing party on my own. I came across so many skeletons and bones piled up into a small mountain. At this point, the terror in my heart had reached its peak. I resisted the urge to scream. I beat a hasty retreat and stepped on numerous bones in the process. What scared me was that the bones did not let out the usual crunch sound after being stepped on. Rather, they simply crumbled into dust. I cannot help but wonder how long these bones had been buried there. This took my mind to the missing hikers. Were they already bones, or were they alive like me, terrified and hopeless? I was at my wit's end already, and I could not help but feel despair. I glanced at my wristwatch to check the time, but what I saw shocked me. Time moves faster here. I had barely spent two hours in the woods, yet my wristwatch was displaying a date that was two days ahead. Two hours equal two days here. At this rate, my lifespan would run out before whatever was lurking around would kill me. At this point, all I had in my mind was how to escape this hellhole that I had somehow gotten myself into. All thoughts of searching and rescuing the lost hikers did not cross my mind at this point. All I could think of was how to get out of my situation. My mind was in chaos, disoriented, and I could not think straight. Just when I thought things could not get any worse, I began hearing voices and the feelings of being stalked overwhelmed me. I could feel something or someone watching me, and the thought of that made me panic. There was nothing scarier than the unknown, especially in a place such as this. I kept on walking, and my nerves were taut and on edge ready to react to any situation. I moved on without a sense of direction, hoping to luckily find an exit or something. Glancing at my wristwatch, I saw to my utter dismay I had spent close to a week now trapped in this place. While I was aware that time was moving faster, things would be different as long as I found an exit, it did nothing to comfort me. I had no idea when I would find an exit out of this dimension. By the time I had spent a couple of months, I, through a stroke of luck, was able to find a way out. The moment I stepped out, my walkie-talkie buzzed incessantly. People had been trying to reach me and even my colleague. I radioed my colleague, but got no reply. I knew he was still trapped in there, and there was no hope for him to get out. He was not even aware. My story caused a sensation, and I was rushed to the hospital for tests and examinations. The doctor confirmed that my cells had gone through rapid aging, and my cells had grown older than they should have. I would have had to have been placed on a special diet to prolong my lifespan. A few weeks later, the missing hikers were found. However, all of them had lost their youthful appearance, which further boosted the authenticity of my story. Despite getting intensive medical care, all hikers died mysteriously afterwards. My colleague disappeared, and I was told to keep quiet. The entire case was shut down before the press could even get out, and no public knowledge ever became aware.